Good morning. Can you guys hear me okay? Happy Sabbath, church family. Are you happy to be here? Amen. Amen. Um, I'll tell you this. Uh, I think the last time I was here was maybe uh, two years ago, maybe a year ago or two years ago. I don't know. Uh, as I'm getting older, everything is getting longer by prophetic lengths. And so, but there's always a beautiful spirit at this church. Amen. Yeah, beautiful people here. And yeah, God is working. I'm excited because I know God wants to share something very special with us. Amen? The Bible says these words. It says, enter into his gates with what? In your heart, right? Enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your heart. When we enter into the presence of God with praise, he enters into our circumstances with power. The Bible says in Psalm 61, let the people praise him. And then it says, then the earth shall yield her increase. There's a blessing that follows praise, right? So what we're going to do before we jump right into the sermon time, and that is this, uh, I want you just to raise your hand if if there is something you want to praise God for. But here's the criteria, okay? Here's the criteria. Number one, you can't say what somebody else says, okay? If someone already says, I want to praise God for the Sabbath, you got to pick something else, okay? Number two, you can only say one word, okay? So you want to praise God for this thing, all right? So raise your hand. What this more? Oh, wow, praise the Lord. Oh, man, just all oh, shut up. Okay, yes. Love. Love, amen. How about you guys? Did you say? Joan. Joan, okay, amen. Family. Family, yes. How about you? Intercession. Intercession, amen, yes. Sword, yes, in the back. Recovery, Recovery yes. Hell. Health? Help. Help. Amen. For a second, I thought you said hell, and I was like, uh, uh. <laughs> we were having a discussion earlier, but praise the Lord, right? Yes. Weather. Weather, yes. Health. Now, somebody else said health. Can you think of another word? Okay. Did I say Sabbath in the beginning? No, I didn't. I'll let you have that one. So, praise the Lord, yes. Life, amen, yes. Seth. What was it? Seth and Jesus. Seth and Jesus? Okay, gotcha. I am so hard of hearing these. Uh, yes. Farm, amen. Anybody else? What's this morning you're thankful to Jesus for? You're like consciously like, I want to praise God for this. Yes. Forgiveness, beautiful, yes. Zach, yes. In the back. Courage, yes, yes. Any other hands? Yes. Hope, praise the Lord, yes. What is it? Amen. I love animals too, yes. Husband, amen. Some people are praising God in faith for that too as well, right? Yes. How about you? <laughs> praise the Lord. You may regret that though. <laughs> yes. Anybody else? Yes. Children, beautiful, beautiful. You know, praise is so important. It just opens the, the gate of heaven, right? And so I'm, I want to say this. I'm thankful for Templeton. Amen. I'm not talking about the city. I'm talking about you guys. Why don't we start with the word of prayer, and then we'll jump right into this message. Father in heaven, we just thank you again for this morning. We thank you for Jesus, the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Father. Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to the beautiful things of heaven today. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Friends, as we jump into this message, I want you to know something, and that is this. Whatever else may be on your mind today, you want to open your heart to the present blessing of God, right? Do you know that when even Jesus, the most energetic, most active, most busiest being in all the universe, took time to rest on the Sabbath, creation did not collapse. The earth did not evaporate, right? Your world is not going to fall apart when you rest on God's holy day, right? All right, everyone, I want to ask you a question, that is this. I think this uh, clicker is, let's see if we can get this clicker working. Okay, let me, I turned it on, it was on, okay, there we go. Okay, excellent. Very good. Does anybody know what a turducken is? You ever heard of that phrase before, a turducken? Has anyone ever eaten a turducken before? You're like, can you eat a turducken? Okay, what exactly is a turducken? Can you explain what a turducken is? Yes. That's right, right? So I heard the opposite way, right? I heard it was a turkey stuffed inside of a duck, stuffed inside of a chicken, right? Now, you may think, that's a lot of meat right here, and I'm sure some of the vegans are cringing thinking about that, right? Maybe there's a vegan version, right? What would that be? An impossible beyond Morningstar burger, right? Something like that. Anyways, right? But this is actually a real meal. It actually originated in parts of Europe. There are people who eat a turducken. They will take uh, a turkey, and they will stuff it inside of a duck, and they'll stuff it inside a chicken or the other way around. Can you imagine eating something like that, right? Have you ever eaten something? When you're eating it, you think to yourself, these two flavors are very strange when they are put together. These two things may not belong together, right? In fact, what's really interesting is we're going to be looking at a story in the Bible, but what's interesting about this story is that there is another story that is inside this story, And this is a story in the gospel that appears in three of the four gospels. And every time this story appears, this other story that is inside this story is part of those three stories as well, those three gospel stories. In other words, the Spirit is trying to tell us something here, and that is this. This story is part of an even bigger story in Scripture. All right, if you have your Bibles, let's go to the gospel of Mark. We're going to be looking in the gospel of Mark here. And in the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be taking a good look at a time that Jesus was thronged by the multitude, okay? Notice what it says in Mark chapter 5. We're in Mark chapter 5, starting with verse 21. The Bible says these words, When Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. When he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. Now you can just imagine the desperation of this man. This man was someone, by the way, who was very connected to the Pharisees and the teaching priests of the Jews. So for him to come to Jesus, he really had to humble himself and risk his reputation. But there was one thing that was so important to him, and what was that? His daughter. She was at the point of death, and like a good father, he would do whatever it would take to heal this young woman. 
So he goes to Jesus, he falls down, he begs him, and he says, look, please heal my daughter. And notice the response of Jesus. The Bible says this, so Jesus went with him. Jesus doesn't even say anything. He doesn't even say, yes, that's a great idea. Okay, I'm on my way. The Bible just tells us he went because Jesus felt the cry of this man and the anguish of this man. He says, we're going to go. And he begins walking with the man. And notice what the Bible says right here. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him. And what's that next word? Thronged him. You can just imagine Jesus completely surrounded by so many people and he's slowly making his way trying to get to this man's house. You can imagine the frustration of the father and he's trying to move Jesus along and Jesus is just surrounded by lots and lots of people. I think this clicker is not responding, right? Okay, very good. Now notice what the Bible says next. This is very interesting because this is where we start seeing Another story connected to this story right here. Notice what the Bible says in these next, if we can turn the slide. There it is. It says this. The Bible tells us about a woman who reached through the crowd. She touched the garment of Jesus. Now what's really interesting, it says in Mark chapter 5, she had an issue of blood for how many years? Did you know this story appears... Every time that first story appears in the Gospels, almost as if the Spirit wants us to understand something, and we're going to see a a left hook at the end of this thing. Every time the story of Jairus appears in Scripture, the story of Jesus reaching through, uh, Jesus walking with the multitude, and this woman reaching through the crowd to touch the garment of Jesus to be healed also appears. And when she touches the garment of Jesus, The Bible says Jesus stopped, and he says, who touched me? Notice what it says right here in Mark chapter 5. But his disciples said to him, you see the multitudes, and by the way, I love what Ellen White says right here. She actually says this, that Peter, and she uses this phrase, ever ready to speak. You know what that means, ever ready to speak? That means he had a big mouth, and she was saying it in the nicest way possible. But Peter, ever ready to speak, said, you see the multitude thronging you, and you say, who touched me? And he looked around to her who had done this thing. But the woman, and fearing and trembling, knowing what happened to her, came, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. And he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You know why I love this story? I love this story because Jesus knew exactly what he was doing when he decided to go with Jairus. He knew exactly what road he was going to take. And he knew how to position himself in such a way in the midst of the multitude that this woman could reach through the crowd and touch the garment of Jesus. And I love what it says right here. As Jesus is looking around the crowd, all of a sudden, he was looking for her. And can you imagine that moment he made eye contact with her? And she was like, oh, oh my goodness. And she rises up trembling. And it says she told the truth, the whole truth. And before that multitude, Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. How many people love this story here? 
You know what I love about this story? There's three things I want to share with you that I really love about this story. The first thing is this. What I really love about this story is this, is that Jesus somehow can be so surrounded by the multitude, yet he can distinguish the touch between something that is casual and that which is of faith. Amen? Now just think about this. We're talking about a God who upholds the entire universe. And our universe is far bigger than astronomers really say. Our world is but an atom to what God has really created. And yet Jesus can feel and hear and sense the heart cry of every one of his creatures. Friends, you are the center of his love as if you were the only creature that ever existed in this entire universe. And what's amazing is the person next to you is as if they were the only creature that ever existed in this universe. God's love is not divisible where he's got like, I got 50% for him and I got 30% for her. I got another 20% for the other guy over there. The love that God lavishes upon you and sends your way, it's as if you are the only creature. Well, how do you know that? Because if you were the only one to ever have sinned, you know what Jesus would have done for you? He would have died. He would have paid that cost just if you were the only one. Can you say amen to that? I love what's said right here in Steps to Christ. The relations between God and each soul are as distinct and full as though there were not another soul upon the earth to share his watch care. Not another soul for whom he gave his beloved son. Can you say amen to that? By the way, does anybody know how many birds there are in our planet? Millions, right? We can say millions, right? Do you know the most common bird in our planet? It's the house sparrow. The most common bird in our world today. And do you know what Jesus says? Even if two sparrows that are sold for the lowest currency possible, a copper coin, less than a penny, even if they fell to the ground and there's not a single creature to witness that falling and that death of those creatures, the Heavenly Father is aware of that. And if God is so aware of two birds who are in the middle of an unknown forest, completely just surrounded by dense silence, just dying, Jesus is well aware of the things that are upon your heart and your mind and in your circumstances. Friends, you are the center of his love. God directs his love to you as if you were the only being that came into this church to worship him today. Wow. This woman, she walked through the crowd and she fell on her knees as she was trying to make her way through the crowd. Jesus surrounded by thousands of people. And he uses the word throng because it's not just saying Jesus was surrounded. It was trying to use a word in Greek that has to do with this idea of being squished. Jesus is walking and this multitude is squishing him. And he's just, you know, can imagine everyone just around him. Some people are touching him. People are holding on to his garments. People are walking with him. You can just imagine his 12 disciples even just, you know, keep him at arm's length, but just trying to keep an eye on him. And yet this woman somehow slips in through all those legs, all those arms, and she's just trying to get in. 
and she's just able to touch the garment of Jesus, and Jesus just stops the entire crowd to acknowledge something. And this acknowledgement is important for you and to me today. And that is this. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're dealing with, whatever you're facing, whatever you're experiencing in your life, God is not someone who is distant from that. You know, when I first became interested in Christianity, I grew up in a Hindu and Sikh home, I would go to the community college, and I would go into the math building, and there was always a sign that was just there on the math building. It was a plaque, and it was a quote from Albert Einstein, and it said these words. It says this, Albert Einstein quoting, I like Spinoza's God. Who was Spinoza? He was a Dutch Jewish philosopher. He says, I like Spinoza's God, who is not interested in the affairs of mankind, but more concerned with the upholding of the entire universe. And every time I read that sign, I thought to myself, that's absolutely true. Why would there be a God who would be interested in my life? I would read that constantly. Why would there be a God who would care about the things I deal with? Friends, but when you begin to study out the scriptures, we're exposed to a God who comes very, very near to every one of his creatures, and he is aware of what's in their heart and in their mind, the things that burden them, the things that crush them, the things that break them, the things that hurt them, and the things that bring them joy. Jesus is fully aware of what you go through, and that's why his parting promise to even his disciples was, I'm going to be with you always until the close of probation. Is that what he said? No. To the end. Amen? But you know why I love this story? It's very interesting. The Bible says the woman had an issue of blood for how many years? Twelve years. She had a problem, a big problem. When you study out the book of Leviticus, it's very interesting. It tells us in Leviticus that when someone had a flow of blood, they were to be isolated from the camp as long as the flow of blood existed, as long as this problem continued to take place. It was not just talking about the monthly cycle, but it was talking about cases where if there was an issue or some kind of health issue, that there was supposed to be this time of isolation, and it says that this woman or this, this, this woman would be unclean as long as she had this issue. Now, I want to point out something which is really important for us to understand. That is this. In the Old Testament, when something is deemed unclean, it's not necessarily referring to sin. Oftentimes, the term unclean refers to health issues. It can refer to uh, society issues. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a whole host of meaning. Oftentimes, and this is really important for us to recognize, When God categorizes something, we tend to demonize something. What God has categorized, we tend to demonize. And because of this health issue, this woman was now cut off from from coming to the sanctuary. She had to be careful of of, of social interactions. In fact, when she reached through the crowd, she was actually risking her life. And the Bible tells us that when she was unclean, it says in Leviticus, everything she would touch would become unclean. The house that she lived in would become unclean. The blanket that she slept on would become unclean. The pillow would become unclean. Everywhere she walked, she would become unclean. And that which she touched would become unclean. Can you imagine this? This woman for 12 years was told she was unclean, believed she was unclean. 
And now I had to navigate with this idea of maybe of a God who cut her off. Unclean. You know, it's really interesting. Did you know in the New Te- Old Testament that when something clean touched something unclean, do you know what would happen to the clean thing? Yeah. If you touch an unclean animal, in fact, in the Old Testament, clean animals that touched unclean animals were termed common. That was the term. Common and unclean animals. That's why in Peter's vision, what does he see? Common and unclean. What does Peter say? I have not touched any of those stuff. I have eaten any of those stuff, right? Because common animals were just as bad as unclean animals. And if something was unclean in the Old Testament, if it touched something clean, the clean thing would become unclean. If something unclean touched an unclean a clean person, then the clean person would become unclean. I mean, you have to be very careful. But did you know there was one thing in the book of Leviticus that could not be contaminated by uncleanness? You're like, what was that? Springs. In fact, it even says in Leviticus that when an unclean animal fell into a, clean, a spring, the spring would still remain clean. You could not contaminate a spring. Jesus is the water of life. Can you say amen to that? And when something unclean touches him, do you know what happens to the unclean thing? It becomes clean. Right? And this woman who felt not just this health issue, but this spiritual issue of feeling unclean and feeling broken and feeling separated from God, when she saw Jesus, and by the way, you know what's amazing about the miracles of Jesus? Oftentimes people will hold up the miracles of Jesus and say, wow, this is what really drew people in the, in the New Testament Gospels. But it wasn't just his new miracles, it was the character of his miracles. What do you mean by that? When he was healing the leper, it was telling us something about the Messiah. When he was spending time and he was casting out the, the demoniac, it was telling us something about the character of the Messiah. Uh, when he would forgive the sinner, and he had tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes that were around him, and he was, he was just pronouncing forgiveness upon them. It wasn't just that he was doing miracles, it was the character of his miracles that was telling us something about him. And when this woman heard of Jesus, she didn't just hear that he was a miracle worker. She understood, wait a minute, this is the evidence I can see from his miracles that he is a God who is very compassionate towards sinful and broken people. Amen. Amen? By the way, friends, when you brought, as a sinner, a lamb to the sanctuary, the priest did not ask you, are you without blemish? He asked if the lamb was without blemish. Can you say amen to that? In the book of Exodus, when the avenging angel went through each house, the question was not asked, who was worthy inside the house? The question was asked, is there blood upon the house? And this is important. While we may not understand the mystery of sanctification because it's a daily work and it's a lifetime work, we can grasp and fully affirm the understanding of justification, and that is this. God loves broken people, and when they come to him with their sins, he is willing to wash away their sins, their filth, and their junk. Amen? By the way, you're going to get to heaven one day. And you know what you're going to see? You're going to see the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross is going to be there. And the thief on the cross is going to be there. He's going to be looking around, just enjoying this place. An angel's going to come up to him and says, 
well, what are you doing here? And you know what the thief on the cross is going to say? I don't know. He's going to go get a supervising angel. Supervising angel shows up and he says to the thief on the cross, what are you doing here? And the thief on the cross goes, I don't know. And the angel's going to ask him, did you get baptized? No, I didn't get baptized. What? Did, did, you, did you have Bible studies? No, I didn't get Bible studies either. Then what are you doing here? And you know what the thief on the cross is going to say? The man on the middle cross said I could be here. Amen? Amen? If we're planning to answer the question of why we're going to be in heaven as I did this, I accomplished this, I was obedient. Friends, we're in big trouble. The only reason we're going to be in heaven one day is because of Jesus. Do you want to know the biggest secret in the universe? The biggest secret in the universe is this. When we get to heaven and Jesus says to us, well done, good and faithful servant, the reason we take off our crowns and we roll it at his feet is because we know something about Jesus that the rest of the universe doesn't fully understand, and that is this. It's not because of our goodness and faithfulness or why we're there. Amen? Amen? But because of the goodness and faithfulness of Jesus. Friends, this third point I think is really interesting. Well, what's the third point? This story appears in the bigger story of Jairus' desire to heal his daughter. You're like, okay, but what's, the, what's the big deal here? The big deal is this. Every time this story appears in the three Gospels of the four, of Jairus wanting his daughter healed, Jesus stops in this moment to heal this woman. But he says something I thought was really interesting. The Bible actually says this. You can turn to the next slide. It says this. Jesus turned to her. Notice what it says right here at the very end. And he said to her, he said to her what? Did you know this is the only place in the Gospels where Jesus actually calls someone his daughter? Do you know what the context of this story is? It's the story of a man who is desperate to heal his daughter. Did you see it? Do you know what Jesus was communicating to this woman, to Jairus and everyone listening? And that is this, just as you are desperate to heal your daughter, I'm desperate to heal and help my daughter. Amen? This woman who was cut off was told she was the daughter. There is no other reference to Jesus calling someone his daughter. Now, the Bible does say he tells the, the, the women who are weeping for him, daughters of Jerusalem. But this is the only place in the four Gospels where he actually calls someone daughter. You want, let me just take this a step further. Do you know there's only one place in the four Gospels where Jesus actually calls someone his son? Who's that? Anybody remember? It was when the paralytic was let down right in front of him and the first thing Jesus says when he sees this broken man who is yearning for the grace of God, do you know what he tells him? Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, do you know what this woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, along with this man who was a paralytic, do you know what they had in common? Here's what they had in common. Both of them were cut off from temple worship. Both of them were not allowed to approach the places of sacrifice where everyone else was allowed to approach. 
Do you know what this is telling us and communicating to us? That God has many sons and daughters who are not part of His church. He has many sons and daughters who are not part of His church. Who are not in the remnant. And He is calling them sons and daughters. And here's the, here's the astounding truth. This one's going to hit us. And many of them are more godlier than me or you. What? Don't tell Zach I preach this. No, you tell Zach we preach this message. Zach's going to love this. Are you hearing me? God has an invisible church, those inside Babylon. That's why he says, come out of her. Because where are his people at that time? Babylon. And he has a very visible church. And do you know what he is doing? He is pulling together the invisible church, and he's pulling together the visible church because he wants one flock and one fold. And many of these people who are in Babylon, the the only contact that many of them will experience with Christianity is going to be you. I like what one theologian said. He says, there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you, the Christian. And he says, most people will never read the first four. Friends, there are people who who God calls, who Jesus calls son and daughter who are not part of his remnant, and he is reaching out to them, and he is seeking them. He is drawing them. He wants them to be saved. Amen? And it's through your experience and through the the, the ministry that God gives to you that you can be a connecting bridge between the invisible and the visible church of God. Right? You want to know something? In the book of Acts, church was never defined as a church service. You know that? They never said in the book of Acts, we're going to church service. Did you know in the book of Acts, church was never defined as a building? Do you know that? Church was always described as a people group. It was a community. And what is amazing is this, friends. Church begins when church service ends. Do you hear what I just said? Church begins when church service ends. Where you go, that's where the church is at. You sit out there by the, by, you know, Shell Beach looking out before the ocean. That's where the church is. People you're reaching out to and people you're connecting with. That's where the church is. The church is reaching out to them. God has many people who he calls sons and daughters who are receptive to his Holy Spirit, just like this woman was and just like that man who was the paralytic. He called them sons and daughters even though they were cut off from temple worship and could not offer the sacrifices to find forgiveness and grace. And Jesus calls them, you're my son and you're my daughter. It's the only places in the gospel where he says those two things. He is telling us something, friends. And that is this, that there are many people who are part of his family. And he's trying to bring them together. Amen? You know, I want to end by sharing something with you. And that is this. You may not feel like a son or a daughter of God today. You might have come in at the end of the Sabbath, crash landing. <coughs> you, know, you know what kind of weeks are those, right? You come in crash landing, you're like, it's the Sabbath, right? Or maybe you're dreading the Sabbath, Ugh. I'm just worn out. I need a vacation, right? Or perhaps you feel spiritually like, I'm just broken. 
I'm just a messed up sinner. And you find the chains of sin unbreakable in your life. Perhaps you just feel that you have been isolated or forgotten by those around you. You feel cut off. I want to share with you just this earth-shaking quote from Ellen White in closing. And, and of anything I've ever read, this is the one thing that has just left such an impression upon me. I've never read anything like this before. Here it is. Here it is. The message from God to me for you is him that comes to me, I will in no wise cast away. By the way, you read over again, Jesus cast out demons, he cast out spirits, he cast out devils, he cast out Satan, right? But then he says in John chapter 6, verse 7, but him who comes to me, I won't cast you away. If you have nothing else to plead before God but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, like if you don't know any other promises, you can't remember anything from Pathfinders or Sabbath school where you're supposed to memorize the scriptures, even John three sixteen is gone from your memory. But the only thing you remember is this one promise. He who comes to me, I will know his wife's cast away. Notice what she says right here. If you have nothing else to plead before God but this one promise from your Lord and Savior, you have the assurance that you will never, never be turned away. Amen? I love what it says right here. It may seem to you that you are hanging upon that single promise, but appropriate that one promise and it will be open to you the whole treasure house of the riches of the grace of Christ. And I love how this ends. You're going to love this. Cling to this promise and you are what? Safe. And I love how she reinforces this thought. Present this assurance to Jesus and you are safe as though you are inside where you're safe as though you're inside the new Jerusalem you're safe as though like you're in heaven already if there's nothing left in your whole experience and all you can just look back and you just see it's been a a downward trajectory of your life if there's nothing bright that you can look back to and you just say, man, I don't see my life going in a positive way. I just, it looks dark. The only thing you have left is that one beautiful promise. You claim that promise, you present it to Jesus, and you are safe, safe and secure and held tightly as though you are inside the city of God. Amen? How many people have been blessed by that quote? Just that quote alone. (laughs) I've read this a million times. I'm just like, man, I love this quote still. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. And Father, we thank you, Lord, that every person here You speak to them because of your grace. They are your sons and they are your daughters. Lord, may each person here have assurance and a calm, settled faith that in the midst of their brokenness, Lord, you are holding them and they are safe as if they are in the city of God. And God, as we leave this place and as church begins, Help us to seek out those other sons and daughters who you love. And may we remind them that they are sons and daughters of God. Thank you again for hearing prayer.
In the name of Jesus, amen. God bless, church family.